Hi, Dr. Bill here. I'm super excited to do this next Meet the Mentor with a very dear friend of mine. And I'll tell you something very special that he gave me in just a moment. Why do we do these? Well, the Meet the Mentor actually came out of our LEAP program. What's LEAP? LEAP is an entrepreneurship program for high school and college students aged 15 to 25 that we have taught at UCLA for the last 16 years. What do we teach? We teach students skills to be successful in life. And the coolest thing about LEAP is that I've asked so many of my celebrity patients and business leaders to come and help, and they do. We've had Mark Wahlberg, Paula Abdul, Michael Strahan, Kathy Bates, Anthony Hopkins, Apollo Ono, Eric Garcetti, Jason Alexander. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And these people come and share the secrets of their success with our LEAP students. Typically, we get about 500 to 550 students every summer, and we literally pack them with so much information. It's like drinking from a fire hose. And one of the parts that the students love most is when we bring in these mentors. So we started this Meet the Mentor series because we didn't want this to just be a one and done week. We wanted to do it throughout the year and continue to give these students great information from great mentors to teach them how to do businesses in every field you could ever imagine. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my dear friend, Dr. David Hill. He received his doctoral degree in pathobiology in 1983 from the University of Connecticut, the same year I graduated dental school. He became co-director of the John Muir Medical Centers in Vitro Fertilization Program in 1986 and director of the Center for Reproductive Medicine at Century City Hospital in 1987, which is where I met him. Since 2000, Dr. Hill has served as scientific director for various reproductive centers in California, the largest of which was a Beverly Hills-based organization rated the top 10 in fertility centers in the U.S and I think worldwide in 2005. He currently owns and operates the first IVF laboratory in the Central Coast, which also serves the needs of patients in the Central Valley. Dr. Hill has published, lectured, and taught on various aspects of assisted reproductive technology for nearly 40 years. On a personal note, 25 years ago, Dr. Hill helped me have my beautiful twin daughters, Charlie and Georgie, for which I am eternally grateful. And in reciprocation, <laughs> I introduced him to his beautiful wife, Marianne Gaushi. They've been married 24 years. Dr. Marianne Gaushi, who was our last mentor and for which he is too eternally grateful. David, thank you for coming. Pleasure. So your wife saves lives, right. you make lives. That has to feel great. It does. It does. It's, a, uh, uh, it's been a, uh, an interesting um, uh, career, uh, not something that I started out thinking. Yeah, I was how did do you well. actually get into fertility? You know, it's, it was um, a kind of a, um, uh, I, I can remember my first year at University of Connecticut where I was uh, working towards a PhD and I was uh, operating an electron microscope there. We had a little department and I literally remember 
holding in my hands the Life magazine that said the first test tube baby was born because that was the year that I started at University of Connecticut. I actually remember that magazine. Yeah, I still have it. But uh, little did I know that my path would lead me to a career in that. And I graduated from University of Connecticut. I uh, then did, as a lot of of, uh, uh, doctoral people do, uh, you do another year or so of indentured servitude, which is called a fellowship. And I did that uh, in Boston for a year. Uh, And then I came back to California, which is where I'm from. Uh, And uh, it was uh, in California uh, that uh, I was working with another uh, scientist, and we were interested in in, uh, growth factors that might be present in the fluid that is taken out of uh, patients that are having in vitro fertilization. There was one of these laboratories within the complex that I worked. So I went to uh, go and see if I could obtain some of that material. And the, the uh, director was only about a year and a half older than I was. And you know, Bell House, in life, sometimes you'll meet people and you'll just instantly uh, have a connection with them. You right. like them. And Glenn and I were that way. Uh, and he said, oh, you really got to join me in this. It's a new field. It's dynamic. And, and I said, well, I can't really do that. I just got here. So I resisted for about a year, and then I finally uh, was drawn to it uh, by repeated interactions with this, this other uh, scientist. And uh, uh, so I joined him. And then a year later, uh, there was an opening at a hospital in the Los Angeles area, which was Century City Hospital. And I, I threw my hat in the ring, and I, and I got that job. And, and uh, you know, you talk about just things that happen in life. They had been struggling that program for a few months, uh, and I arrived there, literally put my bags down in the afternoon in the office of the um, uh, vice president of the hospital, and he said, man, am I glad to see you. You got a case tonight. Wow. So I said, oh. So uh, it turned out that uh, that very first patient that that I did became pregnant, and they hadn't had one in a while, so they thought, wow, we've really got a great guy here, and I knew it was just... Something s- smiled on me. Anyway, uh, that launched the career, and we went from doing about 75 patients a year to about 1,000 or plus wow. uh, in, in by the end of 1999. And uh, during this time, uh, the, the, the field itself, uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, has evolved and gotten more efficient. Oh, my gosh. I remember, so, you know, Personally, my <laughs> wife and I had our first daughter, no problem. Um, and then, you know, for the next five years, we tried and tried and tried, and right. we, we, we just couldn't conceive. And David and I became friends um, in the lunchroom at Century City Hospital. Right. And then we became patients, yeah. and he gave me my beautiful twin daughters. <laughs> and I remember at the time we did this, um, there was about a 16 or 17 percent chance yeah. that every embryo transferred would actually right. become a child. Right. I'm sure that's gone up today. A lot. What a is lot. it now? Uh, now, uh, well, uh, back in, in uh, the uh, 80s, 90s, uh, we would routinely put back three embryos, four embryos, hoping that maybe one of them would take. Right. And the, the way it's evolved now, uh, 30 years on, 
uh, is now uh, these embryos have about a 50% chance each. Wow. So you can't really put back more than one right. unless there's a real reason for doing so. I mean, unless you actually want twins. If you I actually mean, want twins, it's different. Right. We um, started with four. Yeah. And I remember right. at the first ultrasound, we had triplets. <laughs> and Evelyn was not happy not about happy. that. <laughs> right. Um, then at the next ultrasound, we had twins, and we yeah. had two very yeah. healthy baby girls. Yeah, but, well, um, uh, that's, that really was uh, one of the bigger uh, issues with assisted reproductive uh, technology was the multiple pregnancy rate, and it's gone down because the embryos have gotten, we've gotten better at selecting and growing them. So now... Uh, you know, we, we strongly encourage people to just put back one, uh, but sometimes if there's an age factor, or if there's some other kind of a factor that you have to take into consideration, we may put back two. But uh, you can put back one. I remember putting one back in one patient, and it uh, split twice, and had, she had identical triplets just from that one oh embryo. Oh, my goodness. So and it that can happens happen. <laughs> one in a gazillion times. Oh, Yeah. Uh, but well, we, you know, uh, that, so that, that's, uh, it, it, it's been gratifying uh, to be uh, involved in this field where we've just gotten so much better at it. Yeah, and it's funny because growing up, we probably, and I went to a large, large high school with, with your wife. Right. Um, there was maybe one or two sets of twins in a high school with 3,000 students. That's right. My kids grew up. Half the kids in their class were yeah. twins. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the odds are overwhelming that they came what's from. What's happening uh, to mankind? I mean, why are people having such a hard time getting pregnant? Is it the hormones that we're taking and, and milk and food and things like that? Is, mm -hmm. or, or is it that we're, you know, we're starting to have kids at a later age? Right. What, what is it that's. You know, happening. I, I think, Bill, it's, it's a combination. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, average maternal age for patients that come to these uh, uh, fertility programs is about 35. Uh, so that's older uh, than people that conceive uh, uh, naturally, uh, generally speaking. And so the, it's, this, it's this advanced maternal age uh, and as you know, uh, with men, uh, yes, men do, uh, you know, it gets uh, more difficult as they get older uh, to cause conceptions, but not nearly like it is with women. With women, uh, it's, it becomes, if they want to have a family, it becomes kind of a creeping non-choice. Uh, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to decide because the, the chances of it working and, and you becoming uh, pregnant as you approach 40, uh, the chances go down. And there's not much that we can really do about it unless we do uh, kind of an end run around it and use uh, uh, eggs that are donated. And we have egg banks yeah. now. Yeah, well, and that's a whole nother thing. I mean, I, I, I'm hearing about a lot of women now in their you know mid-30s right. you know, freezing their eggs. Right. What, what's that all about? Well. It, it speaks to the potential of the egg as it relates directly to the age of the, of the woman who's, who is donating it or is consigning it for cryopreservation. 
So the younger you are when you do that, the greater the potential, the fertility potential is of the egg. Uh, and women are, if they are not, if they haven't found the right partner, they just haven't found the right uh, life uh, uh, for themselves that they, uh, you know, they then want to bring a child into the world, uh, it's better uh, if they're in that situation to go ahead and freeze those eggs now, even if you aren't planning to use them of, you know, in the immediate future. So, you know, then you have the option of surrogacy. Yes. You know, I mean, there are women that, that, that can't carry. Right. At what point do you think we'll be able to do this all in a lab and, and hmm. not even need a surrogate mother? Right. Well, I don't know. How uh, close are we to that? Well, I, you know, I, I, I read the same sort of forward-looking, um, you know, projections about it that you do. And, and I, don't, I can tell you that right now uh, we um, are able to uh, culture uh, these, these developing embryos in our lab. And really they're pre-embryos. I know it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but the real definition of an embryo is not what we, uh, the stage at which we grow uh, embryos in the laboratory and transfer them uh, into patients. But in any case, uh, we can grow them about eight days, nine days, and they... Uh, they have an awful long way to go uh, before right. we're, you know, just uh, brave new world kind of stuff. But uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what the future brings. I and mean, I, you know, when we started, um, the, the success rate from embryos that we would freeze and then thaw and put back in patients was 1%. Globally, wow. it was 1%. And now, freezing them after, and, and then having the patients come back about a month or two later is the preferred way to do things now. Yeah, I think kind of the coolest part of, of us being friends and this whole you know, path that we went down is yeah. I actually watched the conception of my kids. Yes. You and I sat with those, with those twin microscopes right. and you were showing, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Right. And then I, I remember, you know, there were like 13, you know, embryos and, you know, okay, well, here's 11 good ones. And then, <laughs> I mean, it was, the, the whole thing was so fascinating. It is, it is. And of course now in the last decade or so, we're, have entered uh, the, an era of uh, what's called uh, pre-implantation genetic evaluation and testing of embryos, yeah, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, as we know, uh, there are heritable disorders uh, in mankind, and there's uh, over a thousand of them that we know. Uh, and uh, depending on what that disorder is, if it's either what's called dominant or recessive, uh, you know, you either uh, can avoid it and be a carrier, uh, and or, or you or you might be affected. You may not uh, have uh, be carrying that recessive trait at all. We can test for that in embryos before we put them back in the patient. So uh, let's so let's talk about like something like Tay Sachs. Yeah, well, Tay Sachs um, is a recessive trait. It, yeah, it is. So what that means is that a certain percentage of the time, if you uh, and your partner both are carriers of Tay-Sachs, uh, you will have a certain percentage if you become pregnant that your child is either going to be born as a carrier, just like you are, where you're, you, are, you, you walk around normally, you're not affected by uh, the recessive uh, gene. However, 
uh, there's also a chance that, that the, the baby is going to inherit the recessive gene from both of you, and that they will have T-sacs. Uh, or uh, there is a certain percentage where they won't, neither uh, uh, right. recessive gene will happen, and that'll be fine. So there are so many of those disorders, and if we know ahead of time what we're looking for with patients, uh, we can screen the embryos for uh, for that disorder, and then a decision can be made by the part of the patient. Yeah. So, so just for the lay person, uh, well, you have actually three possibilities. Either you know you'll have a child that's completely normal and healthy and is not a carrier. You'll have a child that's normal, healthy, and is a carrier. Or you'll have a child that's not normal and healthy because they got both of the recessive yeah, traits, right. and, right. and it's and it's always fatal. Tay Sachs, yeah, yeah, right. and so you know you can test for this early on mm -hmm. and not even choose that embryo right. for your pregnancy. Exactly, and there's other disorders that are that are what we call dominant disorders, where if you are if you uh, have that. Uh, chromosome, uh, then you will have the disease. Uh, and there are diseases such as Huntington's uh, and, and uh, what we call late onset disorders that um, follow uh, these, these families down through the generations. What we have the ability to do now is we can screen the embryos for that disorder avoid putting an embryo back with that disorder, and what you're effectively doing is you're cutting that limb off of the family tree forever. That's there will never amazing. be that fear that, again. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's terrific. So what, what for you has been the biggest challenge in your career? I mean, you've gone and, and grown and made so many amazing contributions to your field. But, but for you personally, what did you always find was like the biggest challenge in your field? Well, for me, uh, the, the biggest challenge uh, is and remains uh, to uh, continue to refine techniques so uh, we, you know, when patients come that they uh, will uh, end up not just financially depleted and childless, but they'll end up being able uh, to uh, ha have a, a baby at the end of it. So the, the take-home uh, baby rate, uh, as it's referred to, has always been uh, a, a boulder that you're shouldering into, and it's been a huge challenge. Uh, other uh, challenges are that... that um, uh, when you're running one of these laboratories, you, it's, it's a very tightly controlled environment, which, of course, my uh, wife uh, uh, always has, uh, compares. Uh, when I would go to work, she would say, you're going into a, a sterile, controlled environment where everything's under control, and I walk into the emergency room, and there's people bleeding, and there's chaos. <laughs> so completely different, uh, but at least her personality can handle uh, what her line of work, and, and she obviously does quite well, and, and, and I guess I gravitate more to be behind the lab door. I don't know. Uh, but uh, sometimes, despite your best efforts to control everything, Bill, you can't control everything. Right. Uh, and uh, there may be a period where, uh, you know, em your embryos don't look like you wanted them to and, and uh, just, you know, things happen, but then the ship of state will right itself and you're not sure exactly what happened. Uh, so that's always been a challenge for people where, you, you know, you're really trying to keep everything as controlled as you possibly can. 
you've been a leader in your field for you know 40 years if you reflect back on your career right. what would you feel was your greatest contribution to your field uh, that's a good question I I um uh, I have been uh, an educator in it, uh, and I think that that's, that's been good. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, people have, have said uh, to me, well, you've, you know, you've really done some terrific innovations. And I, uh, I, you know, to give credit where credit is really due, we all kind of stand on the shoulders of those who went before us, and maybe I was a better uh, follower uh, than most. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we have we were able to record a few firsts along the way, uh, but uh, certainly um, you know I, I I would I would say uh, that yeah the the big the big challenge uh, is uh, if you're in a, a busy laboratory uh, to you have to be able to identify the 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 embryologists that you train and that work with you, that they will be able to, you know, keep, keep uh, a cool head in what they're doing, and it's very exacting work, and, and uh, you know, uh, people have no sense of humor about a mistake that happens in the IVF Yeah, line. no, no, for sure. Uh, and it, uh, nor should they, so there's, there's always that human element to, to be mindful of and be on top of and keep things uh, going well. If a student who's watching this yes. is interested in your field yes. and wants to get into this fertility field, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them or, or kind of a roadmap that they should follow to get to where you are in your career? Right. So uh, if you want to become uh, a, a laboratory director, uh, that requires uh, to uh, continue in, a, in, the, in the biosciences uh, and uh, you, you need an earned doctorate degree to do that. Uh, if you want to uh, become an embryologist where you work under a lab director, um, it, is a, it requires a four-year degree, uh, and then you need to uh, undergo training in an existing IVF program. And I have done that with dozens of, of uh, young people uh, through the years, and, and it turns out uh, that uh, embryologists are very, very much in demand, very yeah, much. I'm sure. Um, and the, the, um, the compensation is, is very good, uh, and it's, uh, you know, the, kind of the rules are the same uh, the world over, kind of like tennis. Right. You can go to any country and pick up a tennis racket, you don't need to speak the language, and you, but the rules are the same, and you can go to, if you learn how to be uh, a bench embryologist, a clinical embryologist, you can go anywhere in the world with it. Uh, so it's a portable uh, profession and trade, and uh, I would encourage uh, young people, if they uh, want to do something that's exciting and international uh, and very, very gratifying, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to look into. So... Your new center is really focusing on making this whole process a lot more affordable and accessible to people that right. otherwise wouldn't be able to do it. Right, uh, and we, uh, we do work on that. Uh, there are uh, fixed costs uh, that uh, are 
uh, there's, it's hard to really work around them, but, uh, but uh, uh, we're trying. Uh, and we, uh, the, the communities that we serve uh, in, in the Central Coast also reach into the Central Valley. Uh, and uh, uh, a lot of our patients come from there. Uh, these are people that during the pandemic, for example, they not only did they lose their jobs, but the businesses that they were working mm. for also uh, went, went under. So it's a struggle, but we, uh, we uh, work with them. We try to work out uh, some you know, financial plans that work for them, and, and uh, it, uh, it's a good thing. All right, you've had this illustrious 40-year career. <laughs> What's next? Well, uh, I don't know. I, I still can't hit a golf ball straight, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not real sure uh, where to go from here. I, uh, our, our little center is just off the campus from uh, the uh, State University there, where I actually went for my undergraduate degrees. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where a lot of uh, graduates uh, from the animal science department, uh, they, there's a year-long course that's been there for about 10 years of, on clinical embryology. And on the strength of that one, one course, one-year course that these students take, they put themselves uh, significantly ahead of their peers uh, that are graduating just, just with a bioscience degree. So... Uh, what we've done now is uh, we have created a situation where the, the, the um, last quarter students that are taking that course will rotate through our laboratory oh, so they cool. get to experience a working IVF laboratory. And it's added tremendously uh, to the, um, uh, we think the success of the program will That's grow awesome. even more than it is now. That's so awesome. uh, it's nice. It's, it's one of those pay it forward things. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, <laughs> you have made a huge difference in my life and uh, the life of likewise. thousands and thousands of other people. Uh, uh, what you do is, is, is literally phenomenal. It is. And um, it is. I really, really appreciate you and thank you. And, oh, my pleasure, um, Bill. I also want to give a great deal of thanks to the Citizen Hollywood Theater, where we are filming. It's a beautiful new facility. It is owned and operated with the Salvation Army. We're going to show you a quick little clip on the Salvation Army. If you'd like to help support the Salvation Army and all of the great work that they do, please tap on our QR code at the end and you can easily do a donation. All right, Dr. Bill, over and out. Love doesn't discriminate. It doesn't pick and choose. When there's so much to fight against, love fights for. When others flee, love runs toward. And when darkness prevails, love doesn't despair. It never feels too small or too weak or too powerless to help. Love knows its worth and remembers its strength. Love isn't pro this or pro that, but proactive and protective. It's never quick to rage, but always quick to courageous compassion. Love gives everything and expects nothing. For 156 years, the Salvation Army has loved all who feel lost. With your help, we'll never stop. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.